Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to La Perla Podcast. This is episode 9. Wow. Brought to you always by Bodega Brands. Sponsored by Bodega Brands. Holla at us. Shout out to my bro, Six Pack. Always in the building. Anyway, let's get right back into it. I wanted to talk today about subjects that are so near and dear to my heart. And as you know, you guys, I am a single mom of two beautiful boys, one of the age of 11 and the other um, five years old, just turned five on February 5th. And my first topic of the day is sexuality and the school system. It's been a major topic amongst my friends of, of same age children. Do we think that sexuality is being introduced to children too early in their developmental um, life? For example, like, should schools be teaching about just sex ed, like, you know, preventative methods and teen pregnancy and STDs and, you know, how to protect yourself and all that, which I agree with. Everyone should learn about that, I feel like at the appropriate age, probably through puberty or pre-puberty, maybe through junior high school, sixth, seventh grade, I think that's acceptable. That's my opinion. But I feel like beyond sex ed, which is what I just described, should we be, you know, putting labels on sexuality at such a young age, especially if they're elementary school children? Should we have an emphasis on how people want to be addressed, like pronouns, he, she, they. Is it confusing our children? Is it letting them be free and expressive? Or is it just pushing sexuality in their face? My opinion is that it is pushing sexuality unnecessarily in their face at a very young age. We're not letting them decide if they're gay, straight, bi, he, she, or they. We're kind of giving them all these options and kids are going to be kids. I was talking to a close friend of mine who's an educator. And basically she has a girl who one month she's a girl and one month she's a boy. And one month she's he and one month she's she and one month she's they. So right now she's toying with her teachers and her parents for attention. But then the school has to abide by what she is, you know, identifying as every month or every week out of respect for the boundaries and the, you know, the rules that are being set in place now in a lot of schools, especially independent um, schools, especially um, charter schools that are more creative and more um, diverse as far as their population and being accepting. And I'm all for it, but I just feel like sexuality is should not be forced on kids that are so young. It's just not necessary, in my opinion, to have give kids all these options. You can be gay. You can be straight. You can be bi. Why are kids six years old, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, or twelve being taught, given workshops, being reprimanded by not addressing somebody with their proper pronoun? My close friend, like I said, who's an educator, chooses to just kind of like eliminate all criticism and repercussions by just calling people by their name. Is your name Anna? It's Anna. If your name's Ricky and you're a boy, your name's Ricky. I'm going to call you Ricky. I'm not going to call you they, he, she, it. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm also not going to spend my day 
trying to remember what are what is this person? Are they a they? Is there a he? Is she a he this week? Is he a she? Is he a she? She a he? He a she? He a they? She a they? They are they? That's a lot. Um, it's just a lot, and I just feel like us as parents should have some type of, I feel like input as far as what we want our children to be exposed to. I feel like it shouldn't just be left to the school. Just like religion and politics are not something that is discussed in schools, I feel like sexuality should be that third tier of things that should not be discussed in schools, in public schools. It should be us as parents that have the choice to take them to workshops or talk to them at home about sexuality or, you know, see any identifying factors that might indicate that they're identifying something different, that they're not straight, that they're non-binary, that they do identify as a girl being a boy or whatever we might notice. We we need to be the ones to, to pay that closer attention to our children and take the steps to help them and assist them a system going forward and then and and you know lo- and then communicate to the school listen my child is a boy but you have to call her a she or you have to call her mary or whatever it shouldn't be imposed on a population of students whose a lot of parents including me are not comfortable with their child being exposed to sexuality at such an early age so who's with me like who feels that this is being forced now in our education system who feels like you know it's is it is it wrong to introduce them as such should it should we wait to junior high school and at junior high school should we be talking about both sex education and sexuality or should it just be kept to the olden days when I went to school when I went to school when I was in junior high school all it was limited to was protection planned parenthood STDs, things that we protect, you know, like, you know, how to protect yourself, you know, absence. It was never about, are you gay? Are you bi? Are you straight? What do you identify as? I know that we're living in a different America, different world, but how much is too much? How much is too much? And what are the repercussions of us introducing sexuality? Do we, do we, are we now raising a more sexually aware Youth, do we let kids be kids? Are we allowing them to be kids if we're introducing things like sexuality to their curriculum when they're not even close to puberty? When they still think that boys are gross and girls are gross, and it's like, why are we making this an emphasis now? What is the agenda here? How much of our parental control are we willing to let go of to appease a certain demographic? Or certain parents that feel like this is okay and they're open and fluid and they're gay. They come from mom, mom environments, dad, dad, which is completely fine. And they want this included. But where is our input value? Where is the heterosexual parents with their own beliefs who might have even religious beliefs? When are, when are our opinions taken account for? Do our opinions matter? when it comes to educating our children on sexuality. It's very big. It's very controversial. There's a lot of subtopics to it, but I just wanted to touch base because you're going to hear me talking about parent 
hood and motherhood and our rights and our children and raising kids because it's a part of my life. It's a huge chunk of my life being a single mother to two boys who I adore. So how much is too much? What are the boundaries? Do we put a stop to it? Do we limit the amount of information that we expose our kids to? How do we take control of a school system that's already decided for us? That's going to take me into my next topic, which is mother first, bad bitch after. I really stand by this, mother first, bad bitch after, because... Because I'm a mother doesn't mean that I'm also not a bad bitch, right? But it's all about a balance. And I spoke about this in the very first episode, briefly touched on it. I, first topic is, you know, I strive to shield my kids from my personal life. They shouldn't be exposed to adult life. I feel like that's what robs children of their childhood. Once you are doing things that you would do with your friends in front of them, you're not really letting them be a child because they're now witnessing things that they shouldn't be witnessing at their young age. So if I'm drinking and I'm smoking weed or whatever, I'm never going to do that in front of my kid. Now, if I'm having a beer or a drink socially with my friend who came to visit, I can do that in front of my kid because I make it very clear. This is an adult beverage. And when you're an adult, you can make the choice of drinking this or not. But this is not for you. But as far as like smoking weed, I will never smoke weed in front of my kid. Do my kids know I smoke? Maybe not the five-year-old, but the 10-year-old is not dumb. He's actually very smart. And he knows that me and his dad smoke. Maybe not because we... Say, yeah, we smoking weed and what, but we don't hide it from him. And if he were ever to ask the question, I'm going to be honest and say, yes, I do. But I would rather you wait until you're 18 or at least 16 to try it. And I would love for you to try it with me. I don't want you to get drugs that are going to be mixed with other things or laced. And then it could put you in grave danger. I want you to be safe. Like, I'd rather my kids, when they're teenagers and they decide that they want to smoke weed, I'd rather they try it with me. You know, I could... My, you know, a lot of you out there might criticize my decision to be that way, but I just feel like I'd rather be transparent with my kids so that they can respect me because respect goes both ways. You give your kids respect, you get respect in return. So I'm very honest when it comes to drugs and alcohol and all of those things, even when it comes to dating. Like if I'm dating somebody, obviously I'm not going to introduce everybody I date to my kids, but if I feel like it's something that is going to get serious, which has only happened less than a handful of times, I know how to properly introduce my kids to my quote unquote friends. This is my friend so-and-so. I'm never going to say it's my boyfriend or my husband until we're literally building a home together, buying property together, building a family together. That hasn't happened yet, so I would never introduce somebody to my kids as that's my man, that's my boyfriend, that's your stepfather, that's my husband, until it gets there, and it hasn't gotten there for me yet. So the proper way is that's my friend, if it's a person who you're getting serious with and might see your kids here and there. I want always my kids to feel protected, but I also have the right, reserve the right to have sex, to live my life, to have drinks, to smoke weed with my friends. I reserve the right to be the bad bitch I was before I started having kids. Nobody's going to take away my individuality. I saw a meme that read something crazy like, everything comes before my kids, even me. That is such an ignorant meme because you have to come before your kids to be good for them. You have to take care of you first 
to be good for them. You have to put yourself first above everybody to be good for them. If you don't put yourself first, you end up th doing things that reflect that you resent your kids, that you resent the time they took away from you, even if that's not how you really feel, even if you love them to death, even if you would die for your kids, I would die for my kids. I would put my life on the line for my kids. Does not mean that I don't put myself first. I put myself first. I put my sleep first. I put my rest first. I put my enjoyment first. I put me first because if I'm not mentally well, I'm not going to be mentally well for them. And they need the most happy, fulfilled, rested mom that they can get to to really live a joyful restful fulfilled childhood i want to provide that for them so i have to come first that's why i always say it's one vacay for me one vacay for us last year I took a few vacations, fewer than the year before that. Time has been rough since the pandemic. Pandemic year was money year. I'm sorry to those who lost anybody during the pandemic or for those who that year was very rough. Um, I don't say that to bloat, but pandemic year 2020 was amazing. I made so much bread and I got to go on a lot of vacations. Last year, I did the best I could. I did go on a vacation on my own and I also took my kids on vacation because I balance the fact that I'm a mother and a bad bitch after. I make sure they have their fun before I have my fun, but I got to take care of myself always. I take care of myself always, and I'm always myself. I don't shield, I shield my kid from adult things, but I don't shield them uh, uh, against my own personality. Like, they're going to meet their mom in, in, their, in, in my rawest format. Like, oh, your mom's crazy. I know that. My mom never hid, my, my boys are always going to say, my mom never hid her true self or her true personality from us. We never thought that we were speaking to a representative or she was putting on as his perfect image when she wasn't. No, I let my kids see the rough parts because this is real life. You fall, you dust yourself off, you get back up again. Sometimes we got it good. Sometimes we go, go out to eat. Sometimes we could go to activity places and spend that money. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we got to stay home and watch movies. Sometimes I got to make sandwiches. Sometimes I could buy food. You're going to see me in the rawest format so you can respect what hard work is. How do you dress around your kids? Because this is a big topic with my 10-year-olds. I used to take them to school. You know, in the summer when it was getting hot, crop top, no bra. I'm probably just getting home from work at 5 a.m. I get home from five from work at 5 a.m., wake up at, not even wake up, but sometimes a lot of times I just eat some things, watch TV, stay awake until I got to take them to school. Wake up at 7 a.m., wake them up at 7 a.m., take them to school. So I'll put on whatever. I'll throw on some leggings and like a crop top, no bra. And I know that my 10-year-old sometimes will be like, he won't say nothing, but I know that his friends are looking for me, looking at me. His teachers are looking at me. The other moms or parents are looking at me. Um, so now I like throw on a hoodie or I dress a little baggier just so that he doesn't feel like other people are over-sexualizing his mom, who he sees as just a parent. He doesn't see me as nothing else but mom. So, you know... Is that a sign of respect for your kids to watch how you dress up on them, throw on a bra? Sure. I'm going to do those things because I want my son to respect me and to feel comfortable around me and to feel proud of me. You know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the best role model, but I try to be a sort of role model that's actually honest and transparent and, and doesn't shy away from hard work and also 
is present, is there with them, is interested, is asking the right question, is is giving them life experiences together. You know, I, I started this new thing where I um I take them out to eat once a week, whether it be after school or during the week sometime. Maybe they'll have a day off. I'll take them and do something all together. I try to make individual times for each kid too, which is very important. But I think that they're really learning to appreciate that because during dinner time, I always say, let's put our iPads down, let's put our phone down, let's talk. And it's me, my 10-year-old, and my 5-year-old just talking, just rambling on, and we'll be there for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And whatever quality time you can spend with them means more than buying them anything, than buying them designer, than taking them on the most impressive IG vacation. It means more to them because you were there, present with them available, attentive, interested in their life and what they go through. So I feel like that's the best role model I could be, a present mom. And, you know, and, and a lot of you that might listen to me and might wonder, does your past affect their future? I don't know yet. I made mistakes. I've been talked about a lot. My sex video always comes up. People always feel like that's the first line of defense when it comes to me. Oh, didn't she have a video where they ran a train on her? Ah, ah. I addressed that in the first episode of this podcast, and I have no fear of talking about it again. But I don't want to go in depth again about the same thing. People at the end of the day are going to believe whatever they want to believe. And maybe in the future, my kids will see that video. We'll see how ratchet I used to act or me twerking online or wherever they're going to see in the future. I'm not shying away from it. If they see me working, they see me twerking. Listen, this is how I pay the bills. This is how y'all got the vacations. This is how y'all got a comfortable life. That's how I was able to provide. Was that the best way? I don't know. But it was the best way for me at the time. I'm not shying away from me doing whatever I had to do to support them when I had no help. When financially I'm on my own, I reserve the right to decide what the fuck I'm going to do to make money and to support them. And if they see the sex video in the future and question me about it, I'm like, y'all have sex, right? Everybody has sex. That's how y'all here. Unfortunately, that got exposed. I wasn't the first and last one that happened to. Is it corny? Is it whack? Should you watch who you surround yourself with at all times, especially when you're under the influence? Yes. Even as a man. People are malicious. People will slip things in your drink. Even the people that you least expect. So that's a lesson in learning to watch your surroundings and watch who you trust and watch what situations you put yourself in. Because you also have to hold yourself accountable for the things that happen to you. And that's the lesson that I'm going to teach them if they were ever to step with me with that video is I'm not afraid of my past, boys. Everybody has a past, no matter how dark it is. It taught me something. And I hope that this teaches y'all something so y'all don't make the same mistakes that I did. And that's another great example of me being a good role model. Maybe I did make mistakes. I'm human. Maybe I do have a sex video. Yes, it's true. It's out there. I can't change that. But what what I can do is learn from it. And what I can do is pass what I went through as traumatic. I could turn that into a lesson and I could turn that into something that can save them. And teach them to put themselves in better positions than I did. Learn how to read people. Learn how to trust the right people. Learn how to step away from situations. And not put yourself in a predicament to be exposed or embarrassed or humiliated. 
And that's how I can be the best role model to them. Rolling into topic three, co-parenting in La Perla's perspective. Because co-parenting is a very broad topic. Everybody has valid perspectives. There's the baby daddy perspective. There's a stepmother perspective. There's a stepdaddy perspective. There's a grandma perspective. There's your friend's perspective. There's a boyfriend perspective. There's a child's perspective. This is co-parenting from my perspective. My first baby daddy experience... He was a person I fell in love with. That was my first love. I felt like that person was my world. I didn't see life beyond this person. So we planned this kid. You know, my firstborn was a planned thing. Did I not suffer? I suffered. Now, you know, my baby daddy went on to have three kids at the same time of the same age with different, three different women, obviously. So it was rough. But, you know, and I went through difficult times. I'm not going to get into death with all the difficult moments I went through with this person. But he ended up being a fantastic parent. To this day, he's very present in my son's life. And I am super appreciative to him for that. My 10-year-old thrives on spending his weekends with his dad and his weekdays with his mom. I love that for him. I love that life. And then skipping forward to my second baby daddy is the adverse experience. It's a completely opposite experience. My second baby daddy stopped being in my son's life. My son is now five. He stopped being in his life summer of last year. We're in 2023. This was July 2022, the last time he saw his dad. Is that hard for me? Yes. What do you sacrifice? I sacrifice a lot. I sacrifice my free time, my money, because now I had to pay sitting sitters on the weekend when I work or when I have to do, I have to pay a sitter. Thank God my mom has been very helpful um, in taking my five-year-old on the weekends or when I need her to. Shout out to my mom. But it's been painful to watch because you suffer the pain that your kids are going through. I wish I could take that pain, that abandonment that he feels, that he can't even fully describe, and make that pain my own. I would do anything to absorb the pain that any of my kids feel, that both of my kids feel, but you can't. The best you can do is, you know, soften the blow and provide them the best life you can. You know, I know a lot of single parents out there, mothers and fathers alike, and I know that it can be completely rough and co-parenting can be messy. And to the women out there who don't let their baby daddy see their kids for whatever reason, for not even for whatever reason, for invalid reasons, for reasons like he's not with me or I'm jealous or Fuck him, or this is the way I'm going to hurt him. You're not hurting him. You're hurting your child. Now, if the reason why you're keeping your baby daddy away from your kid because he could be a danger to the child, then you're valid. Then keep him away. But if that's not the reason, if they're not a danger to your kid, emotional or physical, why not? Let it go. Figure out a way. You don't have to see them face to face. Drop them off at a family member's house. Let them pick them up from there. Make it work because... You're causing a harm to your child. No matter what anybody thinks, the, your child gets the most benefit from growing up 
with both their parents. No role is more important than the other. Both roles are equally as important because both roles give a child what they need in different ways. What do you compromise? What do you compromise? Compromise your feelings. Compromise your trauma. Compromise for your kid. Be flexible. You know, I know that it's hard when one person has the feelings for the other. That's always where the, the root of the problem. Either the baby mom is still in love with the baby daddy or the baby daddy is still in love with the baby mom. And either or tries to make either or's life impossible. But who suffers the blows of these arguments and of, the, of this turmoil, of this jealousy, of this constant bickering? Who suffers the most from it is the child. And I know both of you do not want to hurt your child in this way, especially emotionally and mentally. You are hindering your child's growth and their happy childhood by being petty. Like, seriously. And then do new partners, do the people that you are now seeing in your life, do they influence the situation? Of course they do influence the situation. My second baby daddy's third baby mom, who he's with now, is a fucking bitch. Okay? She's the monumental reason why he will not see our son now. She's so jealous of me that she feels like she he cannot have a relationship with our son because she wants him to have nothing to do with me. But it's not about me. You're hurting a five-year-old that adores you. That adores y'all, actually. He built a relationship with her, too. How evil do you have to be as a person, as a mother, to keep a father away from his son. So partners absolutely influence the situation. Be the partner that positively influences the situation. No matter what type of situation it is, if a child sees you as a father, as a mother, do you really want to rip that away from them? Do you want to scar their childhood for the rest of their lives? Do you want them to feel abandoned for the rest of their lives and having to cope with an abandonment of a parent who is still alive? It's hurtful. Take it from me. My father has been alive, still alive to this day, and I didn't grow up with him. And he had the opportunity to come in from the country, from DR, when his brothers and sisters came into the country and see his kids that were living here, me, my sister, my older brother. And he chose not to. He chose to not have responsibility for us. And then when he did, it was too late. We were teenagers. But whether or not I choose to admit it, it's a lot of my problems are rooted from that I didn't have a male figure in my life to feel protected and to make better decisions about love, about men, about everything, about valuing myself. I wish I would have had a male figure to teach me self-value and that love from a male that you do need, especially as a female, especially as any gender. So kids are affected in their adult life, obviously, as I'm telling you, and they're affected in their youth, too. It makes them act out in school sometimes. It makes them difficult children. How do you make co-parenting harmonious? You have to take away your feelings from the situation. Your adult feelings, it got to be removed. However you feel about the person, whatever y'all went through, is never the kid's fault. Whatever siblings 
the father, the mother may have had to add to your own kids. It's not the kid's fault. Let them be with their siblings. Let them share time with their siblings. Doesn't matter how that sibling came to light. But what does matter is that you're being a healthy parent and you're letting them live a healthy childhood and putting your adult feelings aside so they can thrive as children. Let's be better. Let's be a better generation. Let's make co-parenting not a meme, but let's make it a, a harmonious thing. Let's, let's make this a trend. Let's make coexisting peacefully a trend. Instead of arguing with each other about things that are never going to be resolved, let's make it a better world for our children, for our stepchildren, for our adopted children, for everyone involved. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Bodega Brands. La Perla Podcast can be followed on Instagram, L-A-A-A dot Perla Podcast. Again, it's L-A-A-A dot Perla Podcast. Follow Bodega Brand, my man Six Pack, in the building. Signing out. Thanks for tuning in. Later, y'all.